Uh, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather together to, um, to hear from your word, to learn from you. We pray that you would give us wisdom, uh, the wisdom we need to handle life in a fallen world, life with deep difficulties. Lord, we pray that uh, you would just bless today's service, and we thank you for your grace, and amen. All right, so today's sermon is called Dealing with Depression. Believe it or not, depression is something everyone deals with sooner or later. Um. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately some people think they're the only ones, more or less. Or one of the few, but almost everyone deals with depression sooner or later. Uh, I personally had like on and off depression for years, probably, for at least a few years. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing we have to do for this, well, this sermon will have two parts to it. Number one, thinking rightly about depression, and number two, what to do about it. Um, so let's get into the first part, thinking rightly about depression. Well, first off, what is depression? Uh, I kind of have to define it. Just There's a lot of definitions on the internet that are kind of cohesive, but kind of not. So we're going to bother to define it. Um, so depression is a state of being emotionally downcast that often causes people to lose energy, motivation, and interest. Um, and you have this in your handout that's in your bulletin. Uh, and there should be a link to it on the live stream as well, to the handout that is. But depression is a state of being emotionally downcast that often causes people to lose energy, motivation, and interest. But somewhat more to the point, what causes depression? This is another thing you can't get a cohesive answer on on the internet, but after thinking about it and praying about it, I came to what I believe is the best answer for the question, what causes depression? Depression comes when you are sad about a situation and you don't feel like it will get better. You need both of those things in order to be depressed. If you took away one of them, either one, you would no longer be depressed. If it was something you didn't care about enough to be sad about, or you stopped caring about it enough to be sad about it, you wouldn't be depressed by it. And if it's something you started to believe was going to get better, you wouldn't be depressed about it. How many people do you know who are depressed about something they believe is going to be better next week? None. Depression comes when you are sad about a situation and you don't feel like it's going to get better. So not feeling like it's going to get better, I think, can include feeling like it probably won't get better or that it might not get better. It doesn't have to be it definitely won't get better. I think it could even come from so much having not even thought about whether or not it's going to get better. But this idea is going to be uh, very integral, very important for the rest of the message. Depression comes when you're sad about a situation and you don't feel like it will get better. All right, the next thing I want to look at when it comes to thinking rightly about depression, what does the Bible say about depression? So I've got like three things that the Bible says about depression. Number one, it's okay to be sad and to grieve. That is part of the Christian life. If you think being sad and grieving is not part of the Christian life, you know, you're in for some tough times. You're going to be disappointed. But since this section is called, What Does the Bible Say About It? Let's look at some verses that show that. Let's turn to John 11:35. Jesus wept. <laughs> the Son of God who was perfect and never sinned, he went through grief and sorrow and sadness. 
Let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 8. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That sounds like depression. And lastly, let's look at uh, Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So in some circumstances, weeping or grieving is a command. We are to, you know, mourn with those who mourn for brothers and sisters in the church. So if your theology is a theology of Christians aren't sad and don't grieve, that doesn't work. The Bible is very clear that it is okay to be sad and to grieve, and it is part of the Christian life. The second thing the Bible teaches about depression, we should take our depression to God in prayer. So this is clearly a pattern in the Psalms. Let's turn to Psalm 6, 4 through 7. We're going to look at three different psalms of David taking his depression to God. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my groaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. That sounds pretty depressing. Let's take a look at Psalm 13, 1 through 6. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The start of this psalm is pretty grim. And this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired David to take his feelings to God, his feelings of how long will you forget me forever? And then a very important one, Psalm 22, 1 through 5. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and they were not put to shame. There are so many more passages we could look at, but uh, you know we don't have time to look at all of them. But we know um, that God did strengthen David, and God did answer David's prayers, and he delivered David. But what's one thing that's very important here, David turned to God even though he felt like God wasn't there and didn't care. And the Psalms are, are our example, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
God wants us to turn to him even if we feel like he isn't there or he doesn't care. Taking our depression to God in prayer is the example that the scriptures set for us. The third thing the Bible says about depression. Um, let's turn to Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So near to the brokenhearted, what does that even mean? Like, yeah, God's omnipresent. He's near to everyone. Good to know. It, it means more than that. It has more significance than that. So what I believe it means, A, God cares about your suffering, but B, God is wanting and willing to help those who are crushed in spirit. But there's three things we have to realize when we think about that. God is willing and wanting to help those who are crushed in spirit. But we have to seek his help. Let's turn to Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is a pattern in the scriptures. This is why there's so many passages that talk about prayer. God wants us to seek his help. Ask, seek, and knock. The second aspect of God wanting and willing to help those who are Christian spirit, we have to submit to him and be willing to do things his way. So God often sent oppression to Israel when they sinned against him and were living in rebellion and idolatry. And, uh, and he would have compassion on them in their oppression. But he wouldn't deliver them while they were still in rebellion. That didn't happen. They would be oppressed. They would grieve about it. And then God would have compassion on them and then they would repent, and God would deliver them. But God didn't deliver them while they were still unrepentant. So we have to seek God's help, and we have to submit to him and be willing to do things his way. And thirdly, we have to accept his way of helping and his timing. David had deep depression and deep troubles. His troubles were very difficult and they were ongoing at several points in his life. The, the one psalm we read um, about him crying every night and his couch and bed being filled with his tears, that was from the time when Saul was pursuing him. And David sought, you know, cried out to God that God would deliver him from Saul pursuing him. But God did it in his timing and in his way. David could have killed Saul, but that wasn't God's way or God's timing. God let it wait a few years because God had bigger purposes. And if David wasn't willing to accept God's way and God's timing, he wouldn't have, you know, things would have gone pretty bad. He probably would have went the way of Saul. He probably would have been replaced by someone else who was more fit to be king. So we have to seek God's help. We have to be willing to submit to him and do things his way. And we have to be willing to accept his way of helping and his timing. All right, um, the last subsection in um, thinking rightly about depression, I guess this one kind of has a double title. How should we think about depression? Uh, so I have two points I really want to get out here. Number one, 
thing we need to understand about depression. Depression is often a temptation or a cause of temptations. So depression tends to tempt us to not work or to not do daily tasks that we otherwise would do or to be idle. I'm not going to go into verses on why we should be diligent. We know that. I've done sermons on it. Um, You know, depression is a temptation to not work, and that's real. But another thing that's often a temptation to do is to isolate ourselves. I want to look at Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So isolating ourselves isn't good, but it's, it's something that is often a temptation during times of depression. Not only that, but depression amplifies other temptations. It can amplify temptations for lust, substance abuse, or being careless towards others. So we have to recognize that. And while we recognize that, we have to acknowledge 1 Corinthians 10.13. Let's turn there. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. That's a very important promise to keep in mind. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that's something that's very important. Not only that, but the word for temptation here, uh, pirasmas, actually, temptation's one way to translate it, but it kind of means testing or trial. So I think it applies to more than temptation. It can apply to trials in life. So your season of depression, um, however long or short, is a trial, but God will not allow you to be you know, tested beyond what you are able. We need to not give in to the temptation to be idle or to isolate ourselves. So there's two reasons why that just works out really bad. Number one, it tends to create a loop. Like I get depressed often because I feel bad about something and then I stop doing tasks I wanted to do, and then I feel worse, and then I'm more depressed. Or I'm depressed because I feel like other people don't care about me, so I withdraw and don't seek out friendship and don't pursue any relationships, and I continue to feel like other people don't care about me, and then I'm more depressed. But giving in to the temptations of depression almost always creates a loop. You don't want to be in the loop. Not only that, but it, you know, giving in to these temptations gives depression more power in your life. It gives it more power over you. You will probably start to feel the weight of it more if you give in to the temptations of it. All right, second point for how to think rightly about depression. This one is one I didn't expect to be preaching on, but it's, it's something that God hit me with as I was studying for this. Depression, at its core, is part of God's good design. Didn't expect to hear that. <laughs> so let me tell you why. Depression is the brain's very logical reaction to feeling sad about something and not feeling like it will get better. You have to understand that that's the cause of depression or else this won't make sense. But depression is the brain's very logical reaction to feeling sad about something and not feeling like it will get better. That's a totally reasonable response. Moreover, depression can be a warning that you probably need to change your trajectory. So let's give an example. Let's say you're depressed because you're in debt and it's not getting better. 
but you also have bad financial habits and you're not doing anything to change them, then good, you should be depressed. You should be. Because A, you should be sad about that. That's worth being sad about. That's going to affect your life. That has real negative consequences. That's going to be a pain. That's worth being sad about. That's not unreasonable. And B, if you have bad financial habits and you're not doing anything to change them, feeling like it won't get better is realistic. You should feel like that if you're not doing anything to change them. If you're not doing anything to change your bad financial habits and you think you're going to get out of debt, you're probably deluded. But this, this applies to way more than finances. This is a number of things we get depressed about. But obviously, you shouldn't stay depressed. You should do something to change your trajectory. The reason depression is logical and can be appropriate is because sometimes things won't get better. But sometimes that's just because of the trajectory we're on. But we can change our trajectory. I had on and off depression for years from not having friends and from feeling like I didn't have friends. But how that started out, the way I would interact socially was not gonna get me any friends. So I like moved back to the States. You know, by default, I have no friends. Like, I don't know anyone. But I, didn't, I wasn't doing anything to make friends, and my not having friends wasn't about to change. There was no way it could have changed the way I was conducting social interactions. That was very reasonable for me to be sad about that, because having no friends is worth being sad about, and feeling like it wasn't going to change was realistic. I had to change my trajectory. So depression, at its core, is part of God's good design because it can be a warning that you need to change your trajectory. If you, you know, put your hand on the stove and it caught on fire, you wouldn't call your doctor and say, Doctor, I have this annoying burning feeling in my hands. I need my brain changed. The problem isn't that your brain is giving you a burning feeling. The problem is that your hand is on fire. You need to change the fire. I think it's possible that the... And something is kind of counterintuitive about it, because depression makes you feel like not doing anything more often than not. But I think it's possible that the reason depression makes you feel like not doing anything is because it's a sign that you need to reevaluate the way you're currently doing things. Depression can be a sign that you need to change your trajectory. So in other words, depression can be a sign that you need to reevaluate the way you're currently doing things. Maybe that's why you don't feel like doing things. Maybe something about the way you're doing things needs changed. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that in um, the second half of this sermon, which will be today. But if you're depressed about a, you know, a real issue then that your trajectory needs changed on, then finding ways to make yourself feel better without changing the issue isn't going to fix anything. If you're depressed about a real issue that really needs changed, trying to find ways to cope with it and not fixing it isn't going to work. Alcohol isn't going to work. Smoking isn't going to work. Netflix isn't going to work. Sleeping isn't going to work. And delicious comfort food isn't going to work. If you're depressed about a real problem that's worth being sad about and that you don't have reason to believe is currently going to change... You need to consider how to change your trajectory. Maybe on her current trajectory, it isn't going to change. That's something you need to see if you can do something about. 
when you're depressed over a real problem and you need to see if you can find a way to make that problem better. If it's a real problem like that, like the debt situation that we talked about, you know, doing all the things to suppress your depression is never going to work. Because your brain's being logical. Your brain's doing what it's supposed to. There are situations where we should feel depressed. Depression can be a warning. Nevertheless, you know, aspects of God's good design get warped by sin, and sometimes we're depressed about things we shouldn't be depressed about. You know, that could happen two ways. You could either feel like something's not going to change, but actually, even on your current trajectory, it is going to change. Um, or you could be sad about something you shouldn't be all that sad about. So I personally don't think that anybody is depressed that the Bengals lost on last Sunday, even though, you know... It's not good for us as Ohioans, but, um, but it doesn't reach the level of importance of worth being super sad about. But I don't think anyone's depressed about it. Also, like, you know, if, if you're playing a basketball game and lo you lose a basketball game, that's no reason to be depressed. So, you know, depression at its core is part of God's good design, but like any aspect of God's good design, it can be warped by sin. So keep that in mind. All right, second half of the sermon. What to do about depression. So I've got uh, 10 tips that I believe are helpful. Number one, identify the root of the problem. So depression is caused by being sad about something and not feeling like it will get better. So the logical way to go about you know, working with it, you have to identify what you're sad about. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes we know right off the top of our heads. Sometimes it's difficult. I've dealt with depression and like had no idea what I was sad about. When I was a kid, I would sometimes deal with depression and not know what it was about, and I simply never figured it out when I was a kid. It, like, later on when I was an adult, I figured out what it was, and looking back, ah, that's what I used to get depressed about. But, but I also wasn't trying to figure out what I was sad about when I was a kid. So, But you need to identify the root of the problem. You need to figure out what you're sad about. One uh, tip of advice I would offer, if you're quite sad about something and you don't know what it is, I would bet odds are, it significant odds are, it has something to do with feeling like you're not liked or valued by others or feeling like you don't have much worth. In my experience, almost the grand majority of the time when people are sad about something and they don't know what it is and it's just general and ongoing and doesn't go away and they still don't know what it is, it often has to do with that. But it doesn't have to do with that. But if you don't, you know, off the top of the head know what it is you're sad about, number one, ask God for insight. God gives wisdom to those who ask. And number two, spend time thinking about it. You know, God gives, it says ask, seek, and knock. Don't just ask. You also have to do something. Spend time thinking about it. Ask yourself questions. Could it be this? Could it be, you know, that I hate my job? Could it be that um, the bankers lost? Could it be that uh, I have no friends? Could it be that I feel like I'm never going to grow in anything? Um, you know, the list of what it could be can go on, but ask yourself questions. Odds are when you come across the right one, the right question, you, you'll just know. You'll be able to kind of sense that that's what it is. So ask God to give you insight and spend time thinking about it, asking yourself questions. Number two, evaluate the situation. 
So I think there's a few things we need to consider when evaluating the situation. Number one, is the situation worth being sad about? It's very possible that it is, but sometimes we do get sad about things that aren't worth being as sad about as we are about them. But, you know, you got to know so you can deal with it. Number two, is the situation something that can change? You know, there are people who get into car accidents and lose a limb or two. That's very sad, and that isn't going to change unless God gives them miraculous healing. So in, in that case, if it's something that isn't going to change, but be very careful before just assuming it's something that isn't going to change, you know, in that case, you'd have to, well, find ways to make the, your, the situation less sad. You'd have to learn to live without the limb that you lost, just as an example. Um, But is the situation something that can be changed? You might want to talk to someone else about it because you might be biased to thinking it can't be changed. It's very easy when you're depressed about something to be biased and not see it and just think, this can't be changed. This isn't going to get better. This never gets better. Um, it's very easy to be biased and just think that things can't change. You might want to talk to someone else about it. They've got some pretty good uh, prosthetics up in there. True. <laughs> yeah, you might talk to a doctor and find out even that can be changed. <laughs> and, um, you know, the... Third thing you should evaluate when evaluating the situation, what would it take to change the situation? What would it take to change whatever it is that you're sad about? You'll probably have to work your way backwards from there. Like in my case, I was depressed over not having friends. What would it take? Well, I would have to have friends, but you know. Beyond that, what would it take to get friends? And then you kind of have to really think about it. Which brings us to the third thing, make a plan to change the situation. Like if you don't have friends and it's been years and you still don't have friends, then you need to change something and you're probably gonna have to think about it and make a plan. If you've had bad finances for years and you still have bad finances, you're probably gonna have to think about it and make a plan. If you're not growing in the Lord and it's been years and you're depressed about it, you're probably gonna need to analyze it and find out why you're not growing and make a plan. Oftentimes, just making a plan that I feel confident in whilst the situation's not yet fixed, if, I, if it's a plan that I feel confident in, that will cut my grief from depression in half. Because I start to feel like there's good odds it could get better. You might need to get counsel or advice in order to come up with a good plan. Some situations, you know, that are worth de being depressed about are complex situations. You know, some of them can be changed, but it, it takes, you know, wisdom to know what to do about it. You might need to research. You might need to pray for insight. It's always a good idea to pray for insight. You might need to really think about it. But you need to make a plan. You need to figure out, like, in a step-by-step -step way what it would take to change the situation and make a plan, a practical plan. A uh, little point of advice. Um, if the situation's a situation worth being depressed over, um, then your depression probably isn't going to go away until you do something to change the situation. Not only that, but if it's something worth being depressed over, it probably isn't something that can be fixed in a day. So do know to be patient. Be realistic about timing and be patient. And thirdly, this is the most important point of making a plan to change the situation. Be willing to escalate to do what it takes. 
So if you have a situation that can be changed but hasn't changed and you need to change your trajectory, it's very possible that thus far in life you simply haven't been willing to do what it takes to change the situation. Either you didn't know what to do to change the situation or you just haven't thought about and haven't been trying or you haven't been willing to do what it takes or a combination of the three. But if it's going to be difficult to change the situation and you're not willing to do what it takes, guess what? It won't change. And you'll stay depressed. So that's the most important point of making a plan to change the situation. Be willing to escalate to do what it takes. All right, um, fourth tip, and these are all in your outline as usual. Fourth, like we've looked at before, take it to God in prayer. Number one, this is the pattern we see in the scriptures, like we looked at earlier. We're not going to get too much into that because we already looked at it, but something I would like to add to this idea of taking it to God in prayer, anxiety and depression are often found together. And the Bible commands us to take anything we're anxious about to God in prayer. It's a command. That's how Christians are to handle anxiety. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That clause, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, that's not part of a sentence that's a suggestion. That's part of a sentence that's a command. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul didn't say, please don't be anxious about anything. Try not to be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are commands. Taking your anxieties to God in prayer isn't an option. It's a command for a Christian. You should do it daily. Whenever you have anything you're anxious about, you should be praying for it daily for as long as you're anxious about it. All right, tip number five. Practice thanksgiving as you're commanded. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You might not believe it while struggling with depression, but you always have something you can be thankful for. You always have something you should be thankful for. You always have multiple things you should be thankful for. Even when you do hit rock bottom, it actually could be worse. By God's grace, once you hit rock bottom, it probably won't get worse, or else you're not really at rock bottom. But even when you do hit rock bottom and it won't get worse anymore because you're going to change your trajectory, it could be worse. It could be worse. You always have something to be thankful for. So giving thanks helps to keep our focus on God, which helps us to think realistically. Notice I didn't say, you know, that it would make your depression go away. I said it will help you to think more realistically. Some depression is realistically worth having when we need to change our trajectory. In the Psalms, David would commonly pour out his feelings of depression and hopelessness before God in prayer and then end in thanksgiving and praise. That's a pattern in the Psalms for us. 
Don't feel bad about taking your hopelessness to God and venting hopelessness to God. The Holy Spirit inspired David to take his hopelessness, which he already had, and vent it to God. But to also end in thanksgiving and praise. Number six, um, this one might be situational. Consider taking the time to readjust your focus. So this doesn't necessarily apply to every case of depression. But sometimes when we really want something to get better, we can become so focused on the problem that it makes it seem worse than it is or less likely to change than it is, which will lead to worse depression. And, you know, if you're really trying to make something better and you're spending all day thinking about it and it's not getting better, it's easy to just kind of spiral into worse depression. So if that is happening, consider taking the time to readjust your focus. Sometimes you need to mentally step away from a problem and come back to it. You know, there might be situations where you don't have time to do that, but sometimes you need to mentally step away from a problem and come back to it. Programmers experience this all the time. <laughs> like, a lot of, ask any programmer. They'll, like, have a problem they're working on, a computer problem. They don't know how to fix it. They spent half their day on it and it doesn't get better. They go to bed, they come back tomorrow and like, oh, there's the typo. <laughs> it happens a lot. But, um, you know, that, that can apply to real-life situations, too. Sometimes we do need to mentally step away from something and come back to it. But that can only apply if, like, you're struggling with worsening depression because you've been working on it and working on it and working on it and working on it. Like, if you haven't worked on it at all, stepping away from the problem isn't what you need to do. Tip number seven. Don't give in to the temptations of depression. This is really just repeating what I said before, but it's very applicable. You know, temptation causes, uh, depression causes temptation to be idle and to isolate yourself. And if you give in to those, it creates a loop. You know, if, if you stop doing the daily work you're supposed to because you're depressed, you'll be more depressed tomorrow. Just know that. Remind yourself when you're tempted to not do the daily task you plan to do because you're depressed, I'll probably be more depressed tomorrow if I don't do this now. <laughs> but it, it helps to know that. It won't, you know, it won't totally make the temptation go away, but it's one more bullet of motivation to keep in your clip. Um, tip number eight, use the scriptures like an anchor. So there's two very helpful things we can use the scriptures for when depressed. Well, there's more than that, but two I want to focus on. You can use them for perspective and you can use them for encouragement. If our perspective isn't based on the foundation of the scriptures, our perspective is going to be off. And when dealing with depression, it's very important that you think realistically. So we need good perspective. We need our perspective to be based on the foundation of the scriptures. But also, the scriptures have so many things that are encouraging. Like, I didn't even bother to write down any examples because it would, like, you could have a whole series of serieses on various encouraging passages in the scriptures. If you don't know of any encouraging passages in the scriptures, read Romans 8. Start there. If you're really dealing with depression, you know, sometimes depression is short-term, sometimes it's long-term, sometimes it's half a day, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's five months, sometimes it's off and on for years. If you're dealing in a long-term depression situation, you might want to read Romans 8 every day. But use the scriptures for encouragement. 
it will make a difference. Tip number nine, reach out for support and prayer from trustworthy people. So you need support when you're depressed, or it can be helpful to have support when you're depressed. You, you can overcome it without support, but you're far more likely to overcome it with support. It's easier. Um, but I want to consider what good support for depression looks like. So it isn't a pity party. You want to look for realistic people, not people who are just going to justify you giving into your depression. If you're looking for someone to like help you through a time of depression and you tell them, um, you know, this situation's so terrible and I just don't feel like doing anything, and they're like, yeah, it's so terrible, just stay in bed, that's not the person to talk to. You don't want a pity party. You don't need a pity party. You need help. Look for realistic people. <laughs> Look for someone who will pray for you. We can sometimes have the prayers of others underrated in our minds. Prayer is powerful. Look for someone who will pray for you. Look for someone who will hold you accountable. It's very possible that you're depressed because you have an area where your trajectory needs to change. Look for someone who will hold you accountable. Look for someone who will check on you to make sure you're not, you know, just staying in bed, giving in to the temptations of it. Look for someone who will hold you accountable. Look for someone who will try to understand the situation and help you to come up with a plan to change it. That is very helpful. That's at the core, a lot of the times, what we need to do. Look for someone who has wisdom from God and who will try to understand the situation and help you come up with a plan to change it. Look for someone who will remind you that change is possible and will tell you hard truths you need to hear. Last tip, last point, and very important. Don't be a perfectionist. So number one, be willing to take things one step at a time. If you have a, you know, a bad situation that is worth being depressed about, there's very good odds it's not going to change overnight. So you have to be willing to take things one step at a time, and you have to value the small steps. You have to choose to value the small steps. Choosing to value them kind of creates an emotional reaction when you do them. If you choose to value them, you'll get a little bit of joy out of doing each one. And that little bit of joy will be helpful. Choose to value the small steps. You have to be willing to do things one step at a time. There's a verse in Ezra that I really like uh, towards the end when they're They've decided they need to get rid of their foreign wives. And um, I forget if it's Ezra or someone else who tells them, you know, this, this is a serious matter and it can't be fixed in a day or two. This is a matter of sin we need to change and it can't be fixed in a day or two. Like a lot of times it's easy to feel about sin. Oh, it's sin. I have to fix it right now because it's sin. And you, you should fix it as soon as possible because it's sin, but some things can't be fixed in a day or two. God's word admits to that. God's word recognizes that. Rather. So be willing to take things one step at a time. Second part of don't be a perfectionist. This is so helpful. Be the type of person who would rather try and fail than not try at all. Otherwise, you'll be subject to being paralyzed by how bad the problem is. You need to become a person who would rather try and fail than not try at all. So one of the best movies Tom Cruise was ever in was Valkyrie. I, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Actually... <laughs> So I saw Valkyrie with Stephen one day. I didn't even see the whole thing. I came in towards the end. But Valkyrie is a movie about a plot 
in Nazi Germany during World War II um, of a high-ranking Nazi officer to assassinate Hitler. Him and a group of people had this plan to assassinate Hitler. Guess what happened? It didn't work. It didn't work. And they were caught, and they were going to be killed. And right before they were about to meet the firing squad, um, their leader, the high-ranking officer, Tom Cruise's character, he's talking to them, and he tells them, um, when you look at the firing squad, look them in the eye and make sure that they know that we don't regret what we did. I don't care that we got caught. I don't care that they're killing us for it. We don't regret what we did. Because we couldn't have stood by and did nothing. You need to be that type of person. I would rather tell Christ when I give an account of, him to, account of my life to Christ that I died trying and failing than that I didn't try at all because I was scared it wouldn't work. You don't want to give an account of your life to Christ and tell him you didn't try because you were scared it wouldn't work. I would far rather tell Christ, I died trying and it crashed and burned. But I did what I could. And if you're not willing to become that type of person and embrace that type of attitude, you're going to be much more likely to be paralyzed by strong depression when it comes. If you're paralyzed by it, it isn't going to get better while you're paralyzed by it. So in conclusion, if you want to overcome depression, you need to get to the root of it. And you might have to be willing to escalate. Conclusion number two, God wants to help you, but you have to be willing to seek his help to submit to him and to accept him helping in his way and in his timing, like David was. Conclusion point number three. Don't give in to the temptations that depression causes because they're only going to make your depression worse. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come to you with our depression. Thank you that you're a God who cares and you're close to the brokenhearted, that you want to save those who are crushed in spirit, Lord. We pray that we would seek you and your help for our problems, Lord. We pray that we would seek you um, ongoingly and we wouldn't quit. We wouldn't give up on prayer, Lord. We pray that we would seek you ongoingly. We pray for anyone struggling with depression that you would give them insights into the roots of their problems and insights on how to move forward, how to deal with the situation, Lord. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and give us hope, give us um, hope that comes from having a biblical perspective. And please give us trust, genuine faith in you, Lord. We pray that we would turn to each other and help each other. We pray that you would strengthen us as a church and strengthen our community. And we thank you for your grace and amen.